From Steel Valley Media, this is the Frosty Podcast. And welcome to the Frosty Podcast. We are on our first stop of the Frosty Live Tour here in snowy, beautiful Cleveland, Ohio. Here to talk everything Cleveland Browns. With me as always, Tony Perenni. Hey Derek, great to be back. uh, As you said, snowy, sometimes beautiful Cleveland. But there's a lot of drama going on here, and I think we need to catch up our Frosty Podcast listeners on all that's been going on here. We do indeed. And Cleveland, of course, uh, very near to home for most of us and uh, is home to some of us. And we are we are homers here, so we love our Browns. But first, Tony, without further ado, we have to talk about the the Fortune 500 League crowned its champion and its rookie coach, of Grandpa's Cheese Barn, Vince Gorgonzola, and we happen to have Vince with us here in our Frosty Live tour. Vince, welcome to the stage. The crowd goes wild. I thank everybody for uh, welcoming me back, and uh, I, I couldn't be happier with uh, the results of the season. I, I definitely still would like to just thank everybody for uh, giving me the opportunity to to uh, to get here and. Um, you know, uh, just couldn't be happier waiting on my money, uh, there, uh, Mr. Commissioner. Yeah. So, uh, new commissioner, we have some, we have a bunch of league news here. New commissioner, Joe Reedy, uh, which was kind of hinted at as he dropped his retirement speech that was oddly reminiscent of Andrew Lux, but he is now our commissioner of the league. And we have an important date for you here. The ACT test, which will be taken by Tyler Kerr will be the weekend of March 20th and March 21st. Uh, the 21st will be the actual test date in Cleveland, Ohio. So Frosty Live Tour will be making a return visit to Cleveland for that weekend as we see Coach Tyler Kerr take the dreaded exam. You think he's studying yet? Oh, I got to imagine. Uh, I know... Some of us got a uh, Snapchat from his wife, Kayla, uh, who had a an ACT prep course going on at, at her school and had signed Tyler up. So I know he's definitely, if he hasn't already started studying, I know he has a prep course set up to go through. So I know he's he's gunning to improve his score from his high school time. And we'll see if it, if it can happen. I'm I'm obviously not very optimistic for him. I imagine it's going to be an embarrassing score. I don't know how low, but I'm hoping very low. In my head, it's a room full of like sophomore students sitting around doing ACT test stuff and just Tyler sitting there in the back. (laughs) (laughs) Just for asking the most questions of anybody. (laughs) Everybody like takes like looks back like, why is this 30 year old man in our (laughs) our class? (laughs) And just for a reminder, what was his score in when he took it in high school? I believe he's at a 30. Woo! So nice. he was gunning for a 32. It's a high bar. It is a high bar. And I, I don't think he's going to. I'm. He's going to be lucky to get a 20. <laughs> if he gets 32, we'll pay his entrance fee into the league next year. <laughs> like, that's oh, impressive. yeah. That's oh, for way sure. impressive. All right. So without further ado, the fans of Cleveland have been patiently waiting 
to get our very own Vince Gorgonzola to tell them all about this season. And so, Vince, tell us a little bit about how uh, how this all came about here and, and what you've what you've prepared for our listeners. Well, you, you know how drama kind of just follows Cleveland. There's this black cloud is constantly hovering over us. And, uh, and we were joking about it too many times of all the different things that happened this season. You almost forget how many things uh, occurred on a daily basis um, going through the season, especially one with such hype uh, um, for us to perform. And um, it just became kind of ridiculous to, to think about. And I was, and I was th- thinking, we need to document this because we'll never believe that that actually happened. Like, you know, any other, other season, this would make sense that, that we'd have this much drama. But this was the season that we were supposed to get it all cleaned up. And actually, you know, we were going to the Super Bowl, basically. Um, so I just uh, I, I went through I scoured uh, the Internet uh, for for a lot of articles um, just to remind myself of what actually happened. And luckily, the Daily Dog um, is a great source for uh, for all this information. They post uh, you know, five articles basically a day that just has the the top headlines, and um, it gave me a ton of material. So uh, just documented it down, and so far we're, the list is up to uh, I believe it was 57. Uh, yeah, 57 total incidents that I captured, um, and that's just really um, uh, I, I think that that the, the bare minimum, the 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 most that you uh, you could go, you know, get all the information and say that's good enough. We don't need any more than that, but I mean, there's there's tons more of, of of information out there. It's important to put a starting point on this too. So I, I think that looking at this list looks like uh, it's post draft of last year. So after the NFL draft is kind of where your headlines start. Yeah. So it doesn't include any of the Freddie Kitchens hiring or anything like that. You know, we kind of we kind of shoved that in the past. You're like that's old Browns. Now we're moving forward, and this is the moving forward, and this is what it got us. So. Yeah, so officially starting uh, as of May 29th, 2019, uh, you know, we the Browns hyped season looking so good. And, and you got OBJ that's now in, in Cleveland. And so we just start off right off the list. I'm just going to run down this entire list of 57 and throw it all at you. And then we can uh, we can circle back on this. But just to start off the whole season, May 29th. OBJ shows off his Cleveland Browns themed Rolls, Rolls Royce. And that thing was beautiful. Um Next on the list, June 5th, Duke Johnson wants out. Immediate turnover. Uh, next on the list, June 6th, uh, offensive tackle Desmond Harrison missed flight to minicamp and was released by the Browns. On July 1st, Kareem Hunt incident outside of downtown Cleveland Bar, a small argument with a friend. On July 4th, will Baker be better than Luck? Headlines were going all around talking about that. And, of course, we know what happened with Andrew Luck. Uh, July 8th, Baker gets married. Uh, congrats. July 29th, so a little bit of a lull here. Uh, defensive end Chad Thomas gets in fight, causes teammates to run sprints, and he gives a fan, it gives the fans the, uh, the finger on the incident. Uh, August 3rd, Baker shotguns a beer at Indians game. On uh, August 9th, Callaway tests positive for marijuana last season. Uh, on September 8th, so now we're actually into the uh, you know the actual regular season. OBJ wears a $350,000 watch in Week One and gets in trouble for it. Uh, on same day, uh, September 8th, Titans sack Baker five times and Browns rack up 182 yards in penalties. What a way to start the season! September 10th, Browns fan banned for throwing beer on Titans player. On September 12th. Browns defensive end Chris Smith loses girlfriend in car crash. It was a tragic event. 
September 13th, OBJ says Greg Williams promoted uh, injuring him in 2017 season uh, when when the preseason game against the Giants uh, was played and the Browns took OBJ out. Uh, September 16th, uh, OBJ's visor, uh, that whole t- controversy of uh, his visor take off, and, uh, according to the officials. Uh, on September 18th, OBJ wears a $2 million watch for pregame warm-ups against the Jets game. Uh, September 19th, Njoku breaks his wrist. Uh, September 19th as well, Miles Garrett, I'm not trying to do anything dirty after receiving penalties for unnecessary roughness on QBs. Uh, September 30th, OBJ gets into it with uh, Marlon Humphrey and gets choked to the ground and loses his earring. On October 3rd, Kirksey has surgery to repair and torn pec and done for the season. On October 8th, Richard Sherman accuses Baker for his handshake handshake snub in the beginning of the game. October 15th, 22-year-old fan in wheelchair with muscular dystrophy had to be carried to seat by his dad when Browns sold out wheelchair-accessible seats to able-bodied fans. On October 16th, man files lawsuit after mistakenly ID'd by Browns as beer-poorer fan and allegedly banned. October 17th, fan jumps out of car and pretends to take picture with Miles Garrett and then punches Garrett in the face. Of course, Garrett did nothing on that incident. October 21st, Baker fined for criticizing the officials on loss to Seahawks. October 22nd, OBJ fined for not wearing pants that cover his knees. Uh, October 28th, Kitchens calls for intentional false start on 4th and 11 to save timeout. Uh, and then Baker was sacked on 4th and 16 in that, in that drive. Uh, November 3rd, OBJ and Jarvis Landry and the Cleats, Cleatsgate, we'll call it Cleatsgate. Uh, November 5th, Jermaine Whitehead released after sending threatening tweets to fans. Uh, November 7th, Baker handlebar mustache to regular mustache. He had to shave it uh, in, at the end of the game because he uh, wasn't worthy of the handlebar mustache. Uh, November 13th, Callaway benched for late arrival to stadium on game day. November 14th, Callaway cut after another drug violation. November 15th, Miles Garrett and the infamous helmet swing. Uh, Ogunjobi also suspended, and that was against the Steelers game. Uh, November 18th, safety Morgan Burnett has torn Achilles. Uh, November 25th, Browns fan wearing Garrett jersey, wax Mason Rudolph, pinata with a helmet. That was a fun video to watch. Uh, December 2nd, Freddie Kitchens wears Pittsburgh Started It t-shirt to the movies. Uh, same December 2nd, Miles Garrett alleges Rudolph used racial slur in Brawl to continue to fuel the fire. Uh, December 5th, Demarius Randall missed practice and didn't play versus Steelers the second go-around. Rumor he didn't want to practice because of the cold. Uh, December 6th, OBJ was very vague on future with the Browns. Uh, December 9th, OBJ tells teams, come get me. December 9th, OBJ sports hernia drama. So we found out that he's been playing with a sports hernia all year. Uh, December 9th, Baker throws medical staff under the bus for the whole sports hernia issue. Uh, December 11th, Patriots spying scandal at Brown Stadium. Does everybody remember that when uh, we, we saw that uh, in the Brown Stadium against the Bengals? Um, and nothing happened, obviously, to the Patriots. Uh, December 16th, Landry and other multiple teammates yell out, come get me to Cardinal sideline. December 16th, Landry yells at Kitchens on sideline. Uh, December 17th, not exactly Browns related, but always fun to, to listen to. Josh Gordon suspended indefinitely again. Uh, December 23rd, Browns eliminated from the playoffs with loss to Ravens. December 30th, Baker Mayfield, first QB to start all 16 games in a season since Tim Couch in 2001 when the Browns came back. 
Uh, and then December 30th, same day, Browns fire Freddie Kitchens after embarrassing loss to the Bengals. January 2nd in 2020, let's start the new year off right, right? Haslam leaves all day meeting with Mike McCarthy to have press conference and repeated his speech from basically every other coaching and GM firing. Uh, January 7th, Jerry Jones hires McCarthy immediately after the meeting, just, you know, uh, completely opposite of what the Browns did. Uh, January 10th, Browns interview Josh McDaniels. Uh, McDaniels tells Browns they need to make drastic changes, and apparently Haslam didn't like that those mean words, and uh, we know that he's not the coach. January 13th, Browns hire Kevin Stefanski and agrees to a five-year contract. We'll see if he stays all five years. January 16th, OBJ being investigated for handing out cash to LSU players after the national championship win. And same day, January 16th, OBJ arrest warrant issued after slapping security guards' ass in the LSU locker room after the win. January 17th, Baker Mayfield shares Instagram post, social media thinks he's fat. Uh, and then January 19th, Schefter, that's today, Schefter reports Joe Woods of 49ers on track to be defensive coordinator. <sighs> I'm out of breath. Good job, Vince. <laughs> There's a lot of drama to read through in about five minutes there. I, I just can't believe it. That's a lot of, uh, that's a lot of, of issues there. And, of course, the crowd here, uh, very hot and cold on these as we went through. Certainly... The crowd loving the Pittsburgh started it t-shirt and then the subsequent firing of Ke- Freddie Kitchens. So while, we let, been, uh, while we let Vince catch his breath over there for a minute or so, Derek, <laughs> what, what really stands out to you from this list of his? Are there any ones that are really like, like, wow, I can't believe that happened? I mean, there's a lot of them for me. Yeah, there's, there's certainly, there certainly is. Uh, and it's, it's a lot of the, the weird things here so Titans sack baker five times browns rack up 182 yards and penalties to give up 180 yards of let's say rushing would be a really a poor game defensively to give up 182 yards and penalties is just absolutely asinine and there's no excuse for it i don't i don't understand that one at all all of the obj issues throughout this and i I've been pretty vocal about my my lack of like my my strong dislike for OBJ and I think the recent what he's done with LSU here after the national championship game has really highlighted that to me the the handing out cash to LSU players initially LSU saying it was fake Joe Burrow Joe Burrow's coming out and saying no 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 that was real cash and LSU walking that back and saying yeah it might have been real money and then the slapping the security guard in the LSU locker room, there was an arrest warrant. Now I'm hearing that the security guard is going to drop that, the pressing charges. But, you know, OB, the OBJ stuff sticks out. The penalty yards stick out. The, the Freddie Kitchen stuff with the T-shirt, I thought it was a bad look at the time. I think we talked about that. And then lastly, the uh, the helmet incident with with Miles Garrett was was another big one that stuck out to me you noticed the same thing i did with the obj uh, number of, of occurrences in in this and uh as as i was sitting here listening to you talk through what you noticed i i, I noticed uh, vince over there doing the math in excel the same math that i was over here doing as he was reading through um 13 of these were obj so 13 of the 57 that's 23 percent of the headlines had to do with odell beckham jr and his nonsense <laughs> so what <laughs> 
That's just it. We're not. None of them are about him tearing up defenses or scoring <laughs> touchdowns. They're all about him wearing watches or handing out cash to people. Or it's just, and I mean, this this is what he was in New York. This shouldn't be a, a surprise. This might be a surprise to a lot of people in Cleveland who weren't aware of what he is. He's, you know, he's he's a bit of a distraction. Um, the the problem is right now the team's not winning, and it kind of like. It, it makes me refer to how I met you, how I met your mother, where Barney Stinson had the hot crazy scale for girls. Like for for football teams, there should be like a, a winning to bullshit that you'll put up with scale. <laughs> and right. right now, the amount of bullshit going on is far exceeding the amount of winning. Like if, if they were winning going to the playoffs, we probably wouldn't even care about any of this stuff. Yeah. The, the watch thing would be funny. It wouldn't be like, oh my god, rolling my eyes. Why the hell are we talking about this type stuff? But it's it's you know it it ends up defining the entire season. Uh, when you keep seeing headlines like this pop up that just become annoying at the end of the day, they're most of them are harmless outside of, we can talk a little more in depth about this handing out cash part that that one's a little less harmless than the others. Most of them are just harming himself, but um, it just gets annoying to talk about as a fan after a while. Now I will say that, you know, there, while I was putting this list together, I focused mostly on the negative. Um, There was quite a bit that was out there about OBJ, but the positive. So, you know, him, uh, he was going to the uh, the hospitals and and visiting a lot of sick kids. You know, he, he had a lot of the um, you know charity stuff that he was doing. So it, there was a lot of still, I think, good things about OBJ in the season. But clearly, to your point, when you're losing, it doesn't matter. Yeah, but this this is a lesson that OBJ should learn from now because he does all this good stuff, and a lot of it does get reported, but it doesn't get reported anywhere near to the extent that the negative stuff does. And so he turns the narrative into all these people are out to get me like, no, like you are causing your issues here and you should know this by now. Yeah. You should be getting a lot more credit for giving out football cleats to the Cheney football team and visiting people in in the hospital and, uh, you know, giving out uh, cleats and autographs before games to underprivileged kids. Like all this, all the other good stuff that you're doing. But instead, you go always go and make it about you on the negative side. So I'm really hoping at some point he learns this, but I'm at. I'm starting to feel like it's kind of his brand at this point, and he doesn't feel like changing. Now, I don't know if you heard as well that he gave out uh, actually Beats headphones to the entire LSU team as well. Um, that was cleared by the NCAA, luckily, though. So that, that part he's not being investigated for. So the cash wasn't? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but it, it was the report that it was potentially fake money. But uh, no, for sure. Um, I forget the quarterback's name from LSU. Joe Burrow. Yeah. Right. He said, uh, well, now that I'm uh, you know going for the draft, it was real. <laughs> yeah. And I'll LSU has come out and said it was real in, since then. <laughs> who, who, gave, who gave less fucks there? Was that OBJ handing out the cash or Joe Burrow just outing him and the entire university? Like, Well, that's just it to me. Yeah. Like, So to dig into this, because I think it's, it's too big of an elephant in the room to not. So, okay, so <laughs> you hand out money immediately after the game while everybody's on the field. So you know people are going to see that, right? You don't do that that publicly if you're not trying to make a bigger statement the problem is is that all of these things so far that we talk about it as distractions really just affect him right so the i'm not gonna call the rolls royce a, a distraction but the visor the the watches the pant length all of that are really just obj pushing the limits of the nfl so that he can have a narrative of they're against me but when you start giving out, handing out cash on the field right after a national championship game where there's a million cameras on everything and you're, you're a big celebrity there, 
you're not you're no longer this isn't about OBJ anymore. This is now about those players that he handed that money to putting their eligibility at risk. And that to me is the one that I can't forgive. And I don't know what the NCAA is going to end up doing about this because it is kind of a weird situation. But, you know, more so than than slapping the security guard and all that. I mean, that's just that's just being dumb. But this is actually now negative negatively affecting other people in a way that if you put any thought towards this, you knew it was going to negatively affect these college kids potential careers, um, at least, you know, missing potentially a couple games for next year. Again, no no ruling that I'm aware of has come down from the NCAA for what's going to happen to these players. Yeah, all he's thinking about when he's doing this is that he wants to be seen on national TV basically sticking it to the NCAA and paying them out there, not thinking at all about the fact that you're screwing over the kids that are actually taking this. And not not thinking at all that in all of this, you're making this entire national championship win about you and not about the players that were out there actually doing it. Like, you didn't win a national title when you were at LSU. Like, this isn't right. about you. Get off the field. Like, you, don't, you don't belong in a locker room. You don't belong down there. I mean... He was he was there with Jarvis Landry. I'm sure Landry was on the field too, but he's not out there calling headlines to himself, making it about himself. So I have a big issue with that. You know, OBJ always has to make everything about himself, uh, more so than you know the guys out there playing on the field. But, but probably one of the better teams we've had in the last decade out there. The great quarterback, great play, great team around him, and then you come out of the game and all you're talking about is this. OBJ thing with him handing cash to people. It's it's ridiculous and you shouldn't even have to have to talk about it at that point. Right. And you have a lot of great storylines coming out of LSU with Coach O and and everything that he's he's done and and a lot of you know the hometown piece of it. Joe Burrows, you know, coming and being a, a backup and transferring and there's a lot of great storylines that are coming out of that LSU team and nobody's talking about any of it because OBJ once again has taken the spotlight and put it on himself. And I know that the fans are going to be upset when they do get rid of OBJ. And I, I think they really should because this team is more than OBJ away from winning anything important. But when they do get rid of him, trade him, whatever, the fans are going to be all ticked off. And at the end of the day, go back through all of these things and say, at what point was he helping the team more so than distracting from it? And I'm failing to see it. So I, I know everybody's going to be up in arms because it's a, it's a good talent that has gone away. But if you're resetting things in Cleveland and they desperately need to, these distractions have to go. I, people like to point to the, the Baker Mayfield commercials as being distractions and all that. He probably recorded those in June. I mean, that, that's, that's not distraction, distracting. But OBJ was planning distractions throughout the season planning ways that he could put a spotlight on himself instead of the team on distractions instead of the play. That's the part that get him out of the locker room. I'm done with him. Yeah. I wonder when, you know, OBJ eventually becomes the Colin Kaepernick's of the NFL or the Antonio Browns and just find themselves sitting on the, uh, you know, sitting sitting on a boat somewhere and 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 saying all the uh, all the negative things, how the NFL is out to get them, but you know, just kind of basically waiting for a team to sign them and hopefully can uh, actually pick up a paycheck, but but in reality, just causes a lot of drama. Yeah, if the Antonio Brown thing has taught us anything, though, is that the NFL is going to give you a lot of opportunity to show that you're that you can't 
handle it. So, <laughs> and uh, Antonio Brown's discussion for another podcast here, but um, I, I don't think OBJ is in that quite that category. Um, he does like to draw attention to himself a lot, but most of the things, as we've said here, are harmless. They're only drawing attention to himself. That's just, you know, putting him in the news instead of his team for the most part. He's not uh, out there doing what Antonio Brown is doing as far as, you know, he, he's kind of doing that too. But you're also starting to see, like, uh, the glimpse on the other side of his life right now, how he's treating people outside the game and stuff like that. There's a lot out there that I don't think is there with OBJ. At least I hope isn't there with OBJ. Um, but, yes, needless to say, the OBJ trade hasn't exactly gone over uh, gangbusters over here in Cleveland. I don't think all of that is OBJ's fault. I think a lot of that has to do with Freddie Kitchens and his offense. I think a lot of that has to do with Baker Mayfield not being prepared for last season. Um but it just shows you he's the type of guy when he's he's losing, uh, he still wants to be in the news and he's going to find ways to do it. Whether it's handing people goat cleats on the, on the field or it's <laughs> going down on the sideline handing out cash to teenagers, you know it's 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 ridiculous with him. And uh, before before we move on to, to another piece of of this whole uh, Browns talk, I, I kind of want to shine a spotlight and kind of go on a little uh, go off on a little tandem here. With, with fans and uh, you know, you follow social media and all this and you see how many Browns fans out there are just out there just making excuses for OBJ. Like you, you see it in this uh, LSU scandal, you see with him slapping the, the cop on the ass. I agree. It's largely harmless. Don't touch cops. It's like, it's not, <laughs> this isn't a, this isn't a difficult thing. And the amount of people out there that are just like justifying his behavior, um, just because you're a Browns fan does not mean you have to be supportive of everything that a player does. Like, uh, like, like you said, Derek, like you, you can't stand Odell Beckham. It doesn't make you less of a Browns fan. It just means like, I, I don't like this guy that's on our team. I'll root for him while he's out there making plays and stuff. But, um, most of what he does pisses me off. I'm very similar with, uh, with Baker Mayfield. I can't stand the guy. <laughs> he's, he's my quarterback, but I hope he goes out there and performs. I think he's good enough to take you where you need to go, but I, I, he drives me nuts. <laughs> I can't stand him. And it, it's just crazy how fans will justify anything that um, any, anything that your team does, anything that anybody on the team does. And it, it gets maddening at some point to look at when, you're, when you consider yourself a, a good, like, you know, realistic fan who wants to see the team succeed, but also, you know, wants to see people held accountable for what they do. And you see people out there just like making excuses nonstop. I, I, I think fans need to be a little bit better when it comes to that. Yeah, I agree with you. And I, it's not, it's not special to Cleveland. It's not special to OBJ. I mean, I was watching, um, if anybody's seen, and again, Antonio Brown's another conversation for another day, but the, the video that has surfaced that it was well, surfaced cause he put it out of him, um, with the domestic issue and, and yelling at, at the, um, mother of his children in front of his children and the, and the police officers down there in Florida. And, uh, it really looking at the comments, there's a lot of comments supporting Antonio Brown. And I don't know how as, as a rational person, you, you look at that situation and think, yeah, he's in the right here. Um, it's just, I don't know if it's people are afraid to be wrong is if it's more about, you know, that's my team, you know, I, as I'm saying this, I'm remembering, you know, Terrell Owens when he was with the Cowboys, you know, crying on the in the press conference, you know, that's my quarterback, you know, just because that's your that's your guy, 
again, doesn't like Tony's saying, doesn't mean you have to defend everything he does. And it, but it, it's bigger than that. And it's something that is built into fandom that we feel like everything they do has to be right, has to be good. And then you start finding out, you know, hey, these, you, you have 53 guys on a roster. Not all of them are going to be great people. Um, some of them are going to have issues. Some of them are going to have, you know, be distracting. Some of them are going to be outstanding humans. And you don't have to think everybody's great. You don't have to think everybody's terrible. But, you know, if we could start taking some of these people at, at face value, at what they are, and realize that sometimes, you know, the thing I keep saying about OBJ is the Browns aren't an OBJ away from being great. It's like a Terrell Owens more so than an Antonio Brown in my mind. He doesn't do anything. You know, he's not getting involved in drugs. He's not getting involved in, you know, domestic issues. He's not under arrest. You know, it's nothing like that. But these are all distractions. These are all things that take away from the game. These are all things that you have to answer questions about instead of answering questions about about the football game. These are things that coaches are talking about in meetings instead of game planning. These are all things that in an organization with good leadership, you can start to minimize out. But in an organization with bad leadership, these issues are going to take on a, a, a thing, a, you know, a, a personality of their own and become big, big problems. That's exactly what happened with him in Cleveland. That's exactly what happened with him in the Giants. You know, we keep looking at the Patriots as this glowing example of, of a well-run organization. And there are others. And again, going back to the Antonio Brown thing in Pittsburgh, a very well-run organization, you didn't hear about all this stuff because they were keeping a lid on it. And OBJ in Pittsburgh, you don't hear about any of this stuff or very little of this stuff because they squash it in the locker room. It doesn't make it out to the public. You know, when the pants aren't the right length, they get him new pants before he goes out on the field. These are things that better organizations can avoid. So when you are a poorly run organization, bringing in an OBJ is going to be more problem than help. That's a great point you bring up with the Patriots, because that, that reminds me, you know, you're talking about how not all uh, all fans are like, like this, not just Cleveland fans. I think that's a good thing to, to shine light on. I don't know if you've seen the Aaron Hernandez documentary that's out there on Netflix. Um, great stuff. If you, if you haven't seen it, any any listeners out there. We're thinking about maybe sitting down and watching. It's only three episodes, about an hour long. It's really good. But in there, um, some some point in the first episode, it's after they've they've gone in and they've arrested Aaron Hernandez because he's there's you know they suspect that he killed his future brother-in-law. They found him out in the field, and all the evidence at that point is pointing towards him. It's it's not a a conviction or anything, but there's there's the famous uh, picture of him coming out of his house cuffed with the t-shirt over and he goes into the van and that van ends up going and pulling into um one of the the boston jails there and there's all these patriots fans outside on the corner there yelling free hernandez with signs of support and all this stuff like this guy is right now uh looks like he killed a guy <laughs> like you just decided in your mind because he plays for your favorite team that he didn't and he's innocent like that's ridiculous like come on like fans need to be better in instances like that and not like, I know you went and bought his jersey, and that makes him near and dear to you, but uh, to think that these guys can't do something bad off the field, and this is a very extreme example. There's no other examples of guys going on a killing spree and during their career like this. Well, but O.J. Simpson. 
Yeah, Ray Lewis, whatever. <laughs> but <laughs> convicted ones. Oh, though. right. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> Don't get us in trouble. You're just throwing off a pod bean, Vince. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just amazing to me. It never, never ceases to amaze me. Like the depths that fans will go to justify their their favorite players' actions, like either on or off the field. And like sometimes it's just like, like root for them on the field, absolutely. And but you should be able to compartmentalize that a little bit from what they do off the field. And, um, the, the fact that people were doing that for Hernandez was a rather extreme example, but it just goes to show you fans in any market will justify what their favorite players do. And I, I would like to see that change at some point, because especially in a social media society like this, it just gets heightened even more. Like it ends up looking like the entire fan base is out there supporting this dude, even when they're not actually. I would just like to say, uh, you know, I'm just glad that um, the hashtag Me Too movement, I think, is really moving along. Um, you know, I think 10 years ago, there wouldn't be any kind of sexual assault, assault charges on OBJ for his incident. But, um, you know, it's it's we don't always want a, a butt slap either. And I like a good butt slap just like any other you know person normally. But this was obviously it was a little it was a wind up. It was premeditated. He was clearly trying to, you know, cop a feel. It's what it seemed like. Well, yes. you know, Vince, yeah. you bring up a good point there, though, because I think and I I might be guilty of this, too. I kind of looked at it and went like, eh, you know what? Yeah, whatever. Um, make that security guard a female. And now all of a sudden this isn't a oh, whatever thing. You know, at the end of the day, it is contact. And if it was unwanted, then, you know, it, it's an issue. And it, just regardless of who's involved, male, male, female, male, female, whatever, it's it's still an, an issue and it's it's something that our culture is is rapidly changing and i don't want to go on a big soapbox here about that but uh you know at the end of the day it's unwanted physical contact and should not be taken lightly uh at the end of the day the security guard is last we've heard is planning to drop the suit or planning to drop charges but yeah you could see it was premeditated he wound up he he planned his action it wasn't an accidental brush by or anything like that he was trying to make the security guard look foolish and in the end of the day the only person he made look foolish was himself yeah i'm just glad he didn't try to you know say something like i was just trying to wave at the camera (laughs) (laughs) well they didn't really give him a platform to speak after so i'm sure he would All right, let, let's climb back down off the of soapboxes now because we have a whole coaching search we have to cover here still. Yeah, Tony. So let's dig into that here. The Browns have a new coach, as we heard Vince talk about in his, uh, in his headline reads. Kevin Stefanski, former offensive coordinator from the Minnesota Vikings, has been named the new head coach of the Cleveland Browns, signing a five-year contract. As we all know, as Browns fans, that contract length means absolutely nothing. But Kevin Stefanski, for at least a year, is going to be the Browns head coach. Tony, how do you feel about him? Uh, I don't really have a big issue with Kevin Stefanski. I think he's more qualified than Freddie Kitchens was. Granted, our bar this season is extremely low for what you need to clear. Um, That being said, last season at this point, um, when it came down to Freddie Kitchens and Kevin Stefanski, I thought it was a ridiculous group of finalists to have because at that point you know Stefanski had only been offensive coordinator for about three games in Minnesota I know he's a lifelong coach 
Um, I know he's a lot more buttoned up than Freddie Kitchens is, which again, doesn't saying much. Um, but so, so far from what I've seen from the guy, I like him. Um, I have a lot of questions around that. So I, I think we need, we need to, um, to also, also go into the second part of that story. And is that, uh, after Freddie Kitchens was fired a couple of days later, you know, the, the Browns met with GM John Dorsey, who was the one responsible for, uh, signing Kitchens as the head coach in the first place and kind of, kind of told him, this is how it's going to be moving forward. You're not going to be running the organization. We want you in more of just a personnel position where you're just going to be uh, evaluating, picking players, not so much running the entire organization. He didn't agree to it, so uh, predictably so, they decided to mutually part ways, and we find ourselves looking for a general manager as well. And I think um, it's a big, big fall from grace from John Dorsey from a year ago where he could do no wrong. Uh, Derek, he really screwed up this coaching search. And like, it, it, it's hard to look at as a Browns fan because – I, I really would have liked to see him stick around for a little bit longer. But then, like, the more you sit back and just l- listen to the stuff that was going on with this regime and then you try to come to terms with the fact that this guy wanted to do a second year of this with Freddie Kitchens, it's almost like I, I can't blame the owners for not trusting him to go about this again. Like, what do you think? I'm really torn on this because I think you look at – John Dorsey's reputation in the league. It's not like he was the first time GM came out of nowhere. I mean, he's been around the league for a long time. He's had some success. So, which is why it all seems kind of goofy that he, he picked Freddie Kitchens to begin with. And if we are to believe that he thought Freddie Kitchens put the Browns in the best situation as far as with Baker Mayfield and that, then you're like, all right, I can, I can see it. I don't love it, but I can see it. The fact that he was willing to do a second year of this is crazy to me with all of the things that have come out, especially since then, of how terribly run the administration was head coach down. That's the part I didn't understand because at at the point where Freddie Kitchens was fired, I was on the on the bandwagon of keep Dorsey and let him find another coach. Give him he I feel like he's earned that his reputation. The NFL thus far has earned another coaching search. Maybe, you know, hopefully he learned from his mistake of just hire the guy that, that, you know, Baker got along with and realized that get the coach first, your quarterback will fall in line. But then you're hearing all of these other things that have come out since as well about this new structure where basically Haslam is going to run the team as an owner who knows absolutely nothing about football. Haslam is going to try to be Jerry Jones and the GM is going to report to Haslam and the head coach is going to report to Haslam, but the head coach is not going to report to the GM and they're all going to report through analytics as well with game plans and that this is, this looks like a mess. This looks like a much bigger mess than just Freddie kitchens. This is setting up for an organization top down run by a guy who doesn't know anything about football. And to me, I, I don't understand it. And I'm, I'm at this point have absolutely no faith in anybody in that organization because as great as Kevin Stefanski may be, as great as the new GM coming in may be, Haslam's running the team. And I have zero, zero faith in Haslam as an owner, 
as a essentially a GM and essentially a head coach. Agree, hundred percent. Just to to put a bow on the on the Dorsey story. I mean, Dorsey's downfall at the end of the day is he fell victim to what was going on with the rest of the team, whereas just a massive ego that would get in the way of everything else. You know, Dorsey kind of became a little bit of a cult hero here in Cleveland. It was weird. Everybody's going out buying his sweatshirts. He's always making sure every time he's he's seen he's wearing the same stuff. It's like he's uh, way bigger of a celebrity than any general manager ever should. That's not normal. That doesn't happen in other markets. Uh, most markets, you barely ever see the general manager if, if things are running smoothly. Um, so at the end of the day, Dorsey hired a yes man for himself. He wanted to make sure that in the end, uh, he didn't get caught into a power struggle like he did in Kansas City, uh, where it ends up being Andy Reid or himself. He wanted to make sure that he was always in the in the power position. And when you come into this stuff thinking more about power than you do about actually creating a winning organization and uh, put, having chemistry with the people that you're putting uh, in in these positions, you know, it, it's going to end up backfiring. And I think that's where, at the end of the day, the Haslam's just couldn't trust him to go on thinking that um, – I'm not really sure he has our best interest at heart. I think he really has John Dorsey's best interest at heart. And uh, that's where we are with that. Um, but, yeah, go, going into this, this structure that we have, that's the whole issue I have with this. I, I think Kevin Stefanski is a really good uh, choice for head coach. Now, I didn't know a whole lot about him coming in. Um, he's a lifelong coach. His uh, dad was general manager of the Pistons and uh, used to be general manager of the Sixers. Hopefully Kevin is a better better coach than his dad was as a general manager because he was pretty sorry coming from a Sixers <laughs> fan here. But being a, a lifelong athlete like that, I think, is huge. Um, been in the, the Vikings organization for 14 years. He's made it through uh, two different coaching changes, which is that says something to me because normally when coaches come in, they clean house and they bring in their own guys. So the fact that uh, new coaches came in twice and decided, you know, what, I got to keep this guy around, that, that says something to me. Um, he seems like an adult in the room. Like he's, he's going to stand up there in front of people. He kind of has like a CEO type persona to himself, which is something that they badly need. Um, and I, I think he understands his strengths and weaknesses. He doesn't seem to have a big ego, but I, knowing what I know from being in the profession, all these guys have egos. It just comes down to how much you mask it. Um, but my questions come around, you know, are they even going to give him a chance to succeed with what's going on around him? As you mentioned, uh, you know, three different lines are going to be going reporting to Jimmy Haslam here. It's going to be Stefanski on one finger. It's going to be the general manager on another one who, yes, is going to work in tandem with Stefanski, uh, but one doesn't report to the other. And then you're also going to have, this is the one that really irks me, the Paul D. Podesta uh, route where he also has Jimmy Haslam's ear. And right now he seems to be the dominant voice in his ear. And I think that's a big problem. I, I don't, I don't know how Paul D. Podesta ended up being bulletproof uh, when it came to that regime that was in place that went one in 31 with Sashi Brown, Andrew Barry and Paul D. Podesta. Uh, I, I guess the fact that he wasn't actually living in Cleveland helped him in that part. So he could kind of be like, Whoa, 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 that wasn't me. Um, but to me, he's equally to blame for that. And the fact that we're over here re-empowering him uh, is just bonkers to me. And then you're, you're looking to try and bring Andrew Barry back from Philly. Um, I know he's well thought of in the profession, but he's also part of the tandem that decided uh, 
that Carson Wentz wasn't going to be a top 20 quarterback in this league and that we should take Corey Coleman in the first round and um, that we should sign Kenny Britt for all this free agent money. Like I, I, there's some good, there's some good decisions in there a little bit, but some of the bigger ones that they missed on were just like a, a seasoned scout probably wouldn't have. So I have really big questions with that. And I, I don't understand why Paul De Podesta is being shown like he's the savior of sorts right now for the Haslam's. Wasn't, didn't he want deep, uh, deep wanted Stefanski last year, didn't he? That yeah. was his top choice. Yes, he did. Yeah. So that that's, that's a great point, Vince, because uh, they can hide this all they want with interviewing eight guys and going through this thorough process that takes a couple of weeks and lasts longer than everything else. They did the exact same thing they did last year. <laughs> Last year, Dorsey just wanted to hire his yes-man, and he did. This year, we're hiring Dee Podesta's yes-man. And the the problem with that, uh, more than anything, is like you see all of us talking about this on social media and everything. The players have social media, too. Like, in their heads, they've already equated Kevin Stefanski with a yes-man. Like, they're, they're already seeing him as Paul Dee Podesta's puppet. You've already unempowered this coach that you already put in there because – you know he's not the sheriff in town. Like if they haven't, if they have a problem with Stefanski or they don't want to do something, they can go above his head to Jimmy. They can go to the GM. They can go to D Podesta. Like there's other avenues outside of the coach. Where I think at this point, like if they had gone the Josh McDaniels route and empowered him, and he's going to bring in his GM and he's going to bring in his data analytics crew and everything, and all roads are going to lead up through McDaniels. I, I think that puts an end to a lot of the nonsense that's going on around here. But instead the Haslam's just continue to create all these other roads around this head coach they put in place. And then they don't understand why uh, the coach can't keep a lid on everything. Yeah. Cause it looked like when McDaniels was coming in, he was coming in to take that job. He brings his wife and I know they're, they're from, you know, at least he's from this area. So I, I'm sure there were other, re- you know, other benefits to the visit too, but that right after McDaniels leaves is when it's starting to come out that everything's going to have to go through analytics and game plans are going to have to be submitted to both Haslam and De Podesta before the game and all this. You're starting to hear all this stuff. And you're like, oh, that's not what most organizations do. And most organizations, every organization over the last three years has been more successful than Cleveland. So why are we doing this? But I will say this for Stefanski, and I don't know how big of a role he played in this, but with the Vikings, when uh, Thielen and I, f- I forget the other um, receiver out there were having an issue with Kirk Cousins, and it got outside, right? They started talking about it in the post-game press conference, and everybody knew there was an issue. That that similar thing happened in Cleveland, and it never got resolved. In Minnesota, that gets resolved, and immediately, boom, they're they're on a playoff run. So going back to your point, Tony, of he's the adult in the room, I, I agree with that 100%. And I think, the, I think we need that because we haven't had it yet. But the other thing we need is in some form, some consistency year in and year out. This change the script every year is crushing regardless of who it is in the driver's seat. The only consistency has been Haslam and Deep Podesta. That's it. Everybody else is is flipped over, is new um, pretty much every year. So I I was fine, honestly, giving Sashi and Hugh Jackson and all that three to five years. 
I was cool with that because at least then we were giving some consistency. But the consistency that's being shown has been questionable. And the pieces that actually need to be consistent, and when you look at other organizations that are far more successful, there is consistency. Even in times where things don't go great, they come out better off because the players know who's in charge. The players know what the plan is. And you build a team around the game plan or the game plan around the team. Either way, there's two different schools of thought there. And I think both have shown success. But what isn't successful is flipping it year in and year out. So honestly, we're going to have the same conversation in a year about two diff- a different coach and a different GM because in the first year, we expect they're going to hit the playoffs with some pieces on the team, not that many pieces, but pieces that fit an old style, pieces that fit last year's game plans, not this year's. So we're, we're going to be in this endless loop until we get an owner who knows what they're doing, or at least is willing to hand off to somebody who knows what they're doing. So mark it down next year, January 19th, 2021. We're going to be having this exact same conversation. Coaching search 2021. It's already <laughs> planned. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm, I'm, well, I, I'm hoping that's not the case, but it, I, I think at this point, if something goes wrong with this hire, it's going to be the, the alternative to it is where Jimmy's going to stick with it way too long. Like he did for Hugh Jackson, where he's gun shy, uh, won't come to terms with the fact he has the wrong guy in there and it keeps him in there for far too long. So the, the Haslam's are very sensitive to what's going on with the fans out there. Um, and, and they don't want to look like, like they're out there firing coaches every single year. So I think unless things are a complete train wreck, I, I can't see them doing it again next year. The change they'll make after next season will be firing Paul D. Podesta. He's going to be the next fall guy because now they finally did. Uh, they they finally listened to him this time around, um, it, it, which is funny to me because, you know, one of the great things that Dorsey did a, a good job of was plugging all the leaks coming out of Berea. Like you weren't hearing a lot of stuff come out. He, he fished out a lot of that stuff. And what was the one thing you kept hearing as the season ended? It was all, all about Paul D. Podesta's uh conquest basically the people he wanted for all these coaching jobs like i, I think i've identified your leak right there <laughs> it's right. obviously it's obviously deep at esta he's trying to get all of his good news out so that people start thinking oh we should empower this guy again uh, i i think it's ridiculous like i don't i don't want to go too far off a tangent calling this guy a baseball guy and stuff he's a very smart guy i get that but this guy won't even commit enough to actually move to cleveland and he's got your ear uh and you're telling him how to run an organization and um, going back to what we were talking about with the fans, of like it, it was funny watching Brown's Twitter as this hire was made, where people at the beginning were largely against it, and then you kind of see the worm start turning in there, and now it's like, like all the Browns' positivity is back, and now you can't say anything bad about Kevin Stefanski, or there's like white blood cells coming out in social media attacking you for it. <laughs> <laughs> but I keep seeing on there how they're like talking about like, oh, this isn't that. Uh, outside the norm, people, the coaches meeting with the owner, the meeting with the analytics department and like, like people, it's not normal. I'm telling, I'm telling you this, <laughs> like, and, and let's, let's just think about for a second on the owner side, even if it was normal, it, it is not the same taking your game plan and meeting with Art Rooney before the game, who is hands off, who trusts his coaches, who is just curious to know what's going on. 
And it's not the same as taking your game plan to Jimmy Haslam, who is meddlesome and wants to be involved in everything and is going to look to change things. <laughs> like, they aren't the same thing. Yeah, and, and I just really wonder, I mean, so if I think about just everyday life, you know, I'm not I'm not part of an NFL organization, but if I had a uh, a boss that was never in finance and he asked me to give him uh, my financial analysis so he can I can run it by him to say, OK, this you know, this is uh, I see your methods and I, and I, I, I approve. I'm not going to believe anything that person ever says. Right. I mean, how does Haslam have any idea what a good game plan is? And the the first two or three times he's going to just approve it. But the second you start losing, he's going to start having suggestions for you. Uh, Why don't we do a little more of this? Uh, How about we do this till the end of the season? He's like going through with a red pen and just going through a bunch of stuff. And you will start Johnny Manziel. Yeah. I don't think we should be playing this guy. We should scratch him. Yeah. (laughs) Like, this is ridiculous. Like you should like, People acting like that's normal or that it's like, well, yeah, your boss should be signing off on your stuff. Like, yeah, if it was a normal boss, sure. But <laughs> this is not a normal boss. And it also sounds like he's, like, getting the game plans approved by the analytics department, which is weird. Like, yeah, analytics are a big part of the game, and they should be. But yeah. you should be working hand-in-hand all week, and normally that analytics department runs up through the head coach. Like, it's not like there's this separate entity that you have to get your stuff Proved by at the end of the day it's like you're working with them to put together the game plan and at the end of the day they report to you like if, if you don't like some of their suggestions you don't use them and i don't think that's the way it's going to be going here because uh, paul d podesta is the big chief in town right now and i think if he wants stuff going on on game day he's probably he probably has the muscle to make it happen i this whole thing is just super dysfunctional and they are really going to have to uh, they're going to have to get lucky to get good with this ownership group. That's all there is to it. So one of the things that came out, because I was pretty vocal when it was that they were going out of order again and hiring a head coach, and then a, the head coach was going to have a big piece in who the GM hiring was going to be. And I saw an article that was posted that this is what the playoff teams do. And they, they mentioned the Patriots, the Saints, the Seahawks, uh, the Chiefs, and it's like you know that that so Belichick is the GM, but that Sean Payton had a big piece in who the GM was, and Andy Reid had a big piece in who the GM was going to be, and Pete Carroll had a big piece in who the GM was going to be, and, and so look at that, and you're like, these are head coaches that have had long careers in the NFL, have had success, have had Super Bowls, have at least multiple playoff appearances for Andy Reid. These are great, great coaches. These are Hall of Fame worthy coaches, a lot of them, who are going to have a piece in who their personnel is going to be. To give that kind of power to somebody who was an offensive coordinator for a season and a quarter is ridiculous to me. When we're the most likely scenario is that your GM candidate is going to have a lot more experience and success than your head coach candidate. I do not understand this, this thing that they've done now multiple times where they hire the coach and then the GM. I guess it doesn't matter if the head coach isn't going to report to the GM, but it all goes back to, to what Tony said that this year when, when they don't find success, then they're going to fire De Podesta. And then they're going to bring in somebody else's head of analytics or maybe president of, of the football operations or something like that. And now, again, we have a mismatch 
where we have somebody in in high office who this isn't their GM, this isn't their coach, this isn't their strategy. And another year from now, so if we're not talking Coach Search 2021, then we're going to be talking Coach Search 2022 because it's still – we're not going to have that alignment because we're going to take out a big piece again next year. And at the end of the day, well, the piece we really need to drop is Haslam, and I know you can't do that. But what a shame to the Cleveland Brown fans that we have just a terrible owner who is so unaware of how terrible he truly is, and instead of giving – the pieces giving the keys to the people who know how to do it. He's going to be meddlesome. Like you're saying, Tony and be involved in game to game plans thinking he's Jerry Jones when he's nowhere near it. We are going to continue to be one of the worst run programs in the NFL and are, are not going to have success anytime in the near future. And that to me is just, is incredibly frustrating and I'll be honest, it, it's really making me question my fandom because I have a hard time supporting the team where the owner just doesn't have a clue. Can we do something like uh, all the fans in Cleveland, Ohio, uh, they, they buy a, a portion of the Browns and uh, get to a 51% majority ownership and then we can oust Haslam? Is that possible? Well, Brown's Twitter all decided that they're supportive of Haslam and everybody in the last week, so. <laughs> <laughs> you know how that pendulum swings. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this this got really dark over here. <laughs> all the Brown's friends out there are like, man, I, I don't even know if I want to watch next season. So let me give you a small glimmer of hope for next year. Because I know this this is uh, this is extremely dysfunctional. I'm, I'm telling you, a lot of the stuff going on in this organization is not normal. But at the end of the day, the Cleveland Browns, I do believe, have a franchise quarterback in Baker Mayfield. I, I don't like the guy, but he can play. And if he redevotes himself this offseason um, to getting back in good shape, to working on his mechanics, and to getting back to his rookie league form, uh, he might, at the end of the day, with him and the weapons around him, might be good enough to rise above all the dysfunction. And that, that's really, at the end of the day, why John Dorsey drafted him number one overall. And that he had all the, all the tools and everything. Dorsey thought that Baker Mayfield had the mental resolve to rise above all the dysfunction that was in the organization and all of the, the past that has been there for the Browns and everything. He wasn't going to get bogged down in it. So that's the whole reason you have Baker Mayfield is to overcome this stuff. Now you have a lot of weapons around. I don't know if Odell Beckham's going to be there. I don't know if Kareem Hunt's going to be back for year two, but you have the probably the best running back in the game in Nick Chubb. Jarvis Landry is a bona fide stud. You have two elite offensive linemen. You're going to obviously add to that this offseason. Uh, and Joku, if he falls back into good graces with this coaching staff, I think can really play as well if they actually devote themselves to uh, developing him. And the Kevin Stefanski offense that they were running last year is really perfect for what Baker Mayfield does. So if he brings that, if, if the players buy into him and if Baker Mayfield is right, you know they can win a lot of games despite what's going on around them. So... I do think there are glimmers of hope for this franchise, and it, it lies in the talent that's in that roster, not so much the talent that's in the front office around it. So you think Baker is fat, though? Oh, he's fat. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's not fat. <laughs> he's big bone. Uh, well, you said he has to get back into shape, so I just... <laughs> I did see the Browns Twitter drop that. <laughs> he's not fat, he's big bone. Yeah. That was amazing. That was. <laughs> But no, he uh, he posted on his Peloton. He's he's dropping weight. 
Uh, so that's good. I'm with you, Tony. I think Baker's the right guy. I think he's the long-term solution as long as all of this dysfunction doesn't end up ruining him. Uh, and and time will tell on that. But I think, you know, it's not uncommon to see a little bit of a sophomore slump. But going in with this offseason, I think Stefanski's in a much better spot than Freddie was last year to be a head coach. He comes from a pretty well-run organization in the Vikings um, who've had their their own issues. But at the end of the day, has an offense that make Kirk Cousins look really good and be a playoff caliber quarterback. So He was an uh, MVP candidate last year under Stefanski. Yeah. <laughs> Kirk yeah. Cousins. <laughs> yeah. And we know what Kirk Cousins is. So just an incredible recent history with Stefanski, which, which is encouraging to me. We'll see. Maybe this analytics, you know, maybe there's being more made of it than what it will really be. And it'll be more of a, a just a check-in to say, you know, hey, here's what we're seeing. Here's what you're seeing. Uh, maybe there's more, or maybe there's less to it than it seems. I'm hopeful of that. But I hope that that with this group, the Haslam's have put in people they trust so that they can stay out of it. And if that's the case, then I, I do feel a little bit better about where Cleveland's going. I'm with you. The pieces they have in place, the core team is there for for a long time. So I I'm still hopeful. I will still remain a Browns fan for now, but uh my my leash with them is is getting shorter. Yeah, Jimmy, if you listen to this podcast, and I'm sure you do. I think we have a couple hits down there in Tennessee. I'm sure you're responsible for a couple of them. <laughs> you hired the people that you trust right now. Stay in the C suite. Go on vacation a couple times. Let the people that you hired do their jobs do their jobs. And just show up next next season in September and watch what they could do. Because I'm sure they can put a winning product on that field. Just stay out of it. <laughs> and who knows? Maybe they bring Cleveland a Super Bowl in the next five years. Also, you should come on the podcast sometime soon. Hit us <laughs> up. <laughs> Are we going to actually get a, a sponsorship from uh, the Flying J? Yeah, why not? <laughs> He won't pay us. <laughs> All right. So last piece here. It is conference championship weekend in the NFL. So, Tony, we'll go to you first. Who do you think wins today and goes on to the Super Bowl? I get to make my picks first. This is a change. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> give, give me the Chiefs. Over the Titans, I don't think uh, the Titans with a lesser quarterback can beat Kansas City twice in one season. I know Derrick Henry's on a roll. If I think the Chiefs are going to come out fast and try to put points on the board real quick to kind of minimize what Derrick Henry can do. If they don't and they keep it things close, it could get interesting because Tennessee can really control the game from there if they keep it close. But I think the Chiefs have enough to get to the Super Bowl. And I can't see the Packers beating the Niners. The Niners are such a complete team at home. They whipped them the first time. I think it'll be closer this time around. Uh, Green Bay has the better quarterback, but I don't think Jimmy Garoppolo is a slouch either. And that Kyle Shanahan offense, uh, they, they're really good at keeping defenses on their toes. I think the Niners get there, and I think we have a Joe Montana Super Bowl next year, Niners and Chiefs. Oh, Vince, we'll go to you. 
just a quick question. Is it in Kansas City or is it in Tennessee? Kansas City. Kansas City. And then the Packers game, is that in Green Bay or is that in it's in San Francisco? San okay, so I'll go with the AFC game first. Uh, I definitely think it's Kansas City winning this game. Um, Derek Henry's a beast and, uh, and, he, and he's scary to look at, but he could still be tackled. Um, you know, and Patrick Holmes, the way he slings it and he's he's fully recovered from his injuries. I don't think there's any way you can stop him. And uh, and they were really on a roll. I mean, I, I was uh, I was actually in the airport in the last uh, the, the last game that they played it. Um, and they were down, what, 20, 28 to nothing. And they 24, nothing. 24, nothing. And they came back and scored 50 some unanswered points. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. You just can't. You can never stop them. So I, I definitely think Mahomes is, is taking this one. And, you know, obviously my quarterback. Uh, so I have a lot of uh, a lot of heart in this one. Um, and then for the, the Niners Packers, I, I actually I, even though it's in San Francisco, I think uh, Aaron Rodgers pulls this one out. I think he still has a little bit of magic left in him. And uh, and he's not going to stop until he gets a Super Bowl. Uh, you know, he's he's definitely had a little bit of disappointments uh, in his past few seasons with Mike McCarthy as a head coach. So this is his bounce back year. If it's not this year, he's done. I think uh, I, I, I don't I, I'm not saying that he's going to you know retire, but he definitely won't win a Super Bowl if it's not this season. So he's going to do whatever it takes. I like that pick there, Vince. You know, I'm a, I'm a Packers fan. Uh, second to the Browns. I'll be watching in my Brett Favre jersey. But I think this year with Matt LaFleur as head coach, everything going into it was about how Rodgers and LaFleur weren't getting along and there were all these issues and problems and all the behind-the-scenes stuff. At the end of the day, they put together a 13-3 team in a very, very difficult division. So I like I like the Packers in this one to win. The the line here is San Francisco favored by eight. I don't think so. I think Packers definitely uh, keep it closer than that, and I think they do get the victory, although I think it's going to be a close one. But Aaron Rodgers knows how to win. And speaking remember, of knowing how to win – oh, go ahead. And remember, the, the 49ers defense has actually been underperforming in the past few weeks. They, um, I, I mean, Nick Bosa hasn't hasn't been as as powerful, right? It's it's. it's well, he's it's, only getting like one sack a game, and not like three. That's <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, back down to human numbers. Yeah. <laughs> what about the uh, Chiefs Titans game, Derek? Yeah, so I'm going Titans on this one. I'll go opposite of you guys, and at the end of the day, it comes down to coaching for me. I think both teams are really good. Uh, KC favored by seven in this game. But Andy Reid has had a hard time getting to the Super Bowl and then certainly hasn't won a Super Bowl. On the other side, Mike Vrabel, I know he's new to coaching, but he is not new to being a champion. What the Titans have done this year has been miraculous. We talked about that first game when the Browns played the Titans earlier in the podcast and, you know, what Derrick Henry did and with the, the penalties and all that. And the Titans looked so beatable. But since then... You know, their 9-7 and seven record I don't think shows what this team truly is. Derrick Henry is a stud. And Tannehill has shown that he, he, doesn't, he doesn't do a whole lot, but he doesn't make mistakes. At the end of the day, the Chiefs' defense is pretty terrible. And I know they're talking a big game about taking out Derrick Henry, but really nobody does well. The Titans have been that Cinderella story this year, whereas the Chiefs kind of coming from last year – feel like they're untouchable and that they're destined for the championship. So I think the Titans win this one to go on to the Super Bowl. So I'm taking the underdogs in both games. We're going to have a Titans Packers Super Bowl in a couple weeks. 
We all have different Super Bowls. How about that? <laughs> Love it. We'll see. We'll see here pretty quick who ends up being right. <laughs> All right, and with that, thank you, Cleveland, for joining us on the Frosty Live Tour. We hope you've enjoyed the breakdown of the Brown season, the good, the bad, and the very ugly. We will be on our next stop of the Frosty Live Tour for Super Bowl week on Radio Row in beautiful Miami, Florida, where it should be much warmer than it is here in Cleveland. I'm Derek Frost. He's Tony Perenni and our intern, Vince the champion Gorgonzola. Catch us next time. And as always, thank you for listening. 